everyone. Welcome to The Science of Beauty, a podcast from Allure. I'm Michelle Lee, the Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Jenny Bailly, Executive Beauty Director. On this podcast, we're going to be diving into the science behind beauty and the products that we are always talking about and testing here at Allure. And today on the podcast... Okay, wait. Yeah, look at that, like, crusty thing. We're talking about the scalp. Specifically, my scalp. You'll see. Good afternoon. My name is David Adams. I am a salon owner, a hair colorist, and I am also a licensed trichologist. Okay, David, the key question, what is a trichologist? You know, a trichologist is somebody who studies the science of hair and scalp. And so when would someone go to see a trichologist? I think any time you feel that you have a scalp or hair issue, and that could be anything from an itchy scalp, hair shedding, my hair's not in great condition, my hair texture's changed, any time at all is a good time to go and see a trichologist. If someone is experiencing hair loss, is that part of trichology? Yes, most definitely. And, you know, in this time of... uh, pandemic and COVID, we're seeing a huge increase in hair shedding, um, which comes as a result of stress for a lot of people. And what what does a consultation involve exactly? So someone comes in, they're having a scalp issue, then what happens? We would sit down and have a consultation. Um, I would recommend that you would have a blood test before and perhaps bring the results with you. Or if you don't have time, that's something that I would ask you to do after the consultation because a blood test is going to show any sort of missing links in vitamins, proteins, iron, et cetera, et cetera. And a consultation really looks at your lifestyle, your family history, and everything around your day-to-day living. And in that first consultation, are you also looking at the scalp? And are you looking at it with just a naked eye or are you looking more on a microscopic level? Yes, we look on a microscopic level. We have a couple of different types of cameras. Um, We have one that we take a general picture of and then that shows you exactly what the scalp condition is today from different parts of the head. And then that shows comparison pictures of what a healthy scalp should look like. And here's mine so we can see them side by side. And then we use uh, a much more magnifying scope to really have a look closely. You mentioned a healthy scalp versus a not healthy scalp. What do those two things look like? A healthy scalp is gorgeous. <laughs> you, you see you see this clean, clear surface of skin and you see the hair growing out of the follicle and there's nothing in the way. An unhealthy scalp can almost look like um, pictures we see of Mars or the moon where you can see all this debris lying around the scalp and that's really showing us that that needs to be cleansed. So are people not cleansing their scalps when they're washing their hair? Most people don't really have a good conscious idea of how to shampoo their hair. You know, they, well, I just put shampoo in it and rinse it off. And then what do you do? I put conditioner all over it. Well, conditioner should be for the mid lengths and ends not to be massaged into the scalp. You know, so it's, it's knowing that each product does something different. Well, so what should people be doing? I mean, the latest craze still for the last few years has been dry shampoo. And everybody loves dry shampoo. How do you feel about dry shampoo? Oh, I can't stand it. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I saw that saw that coming. <laughs> because again, you know, think about it, you're putting powder on and, you know, dry shampoo used to be, you know, grandma used to use dry shampoo. She would have a roller set in the salon on a Friday afternoon. And then on Wednesday, she'd put some dry shampoo on there and put the rollers in herself. And then the next Friday, she'd go back to the salon again. So she's looking for something so she doesn't have to wash her hair herself. But now dry shampoo has become more of a styling aid. 
And and the hairstylist will say to you, don't wash your hair for two or three days. And every morning you smother it in dry shampoo and you'll get that really cool texture. I mean, you will, but your scalp will be an absolute mess. And then you, you wonder why your hair's not growing or your hair's starting to shed or why you got an itchy scalp all the time and keep scratching it. I think for a lot of black women also, they don't necessarily wash super frequently because their hair doesn't get as oily as fast. Plus the wash day process is really long. But what else can people do in between those wash days? There are scalp tonics you, you can buy and they are really designed for people that have, say, a dandruff issue. I mean, you, you can break the hair treatments down into, am I cleansing? Am I exfoliating? Am I stimulating? You know, do I need to stimulate the hair growth? Do I need to cleanse the scalp? You know, what is it I'm, I'm looking for? No, but you could shampoo it one day. The next day you could put a scalp tonic on and massage it in. And then maybe you could do that for a couple of days and then the third day shampoo it and so on. So the scalp tonic you just leave on. I wouldn't have to rinse that out. Yes. No, exactly. And what's in it? We mix it up and most of it's cleansers and it's very liquid. So it dries into the hair and it's great for highly textured hair. So for African-American hair or just anybody with really curly hair or people who really don't want to shampoo their hair very often. And you would just rub that all over your scalp. Exactly. Exactly. And then it just stays in and dries. It's really good. David, you referenced before the proper way to shampoo your hair also. But are we all doing it wrong when we're at home? I I wouldn't say we're doing it wrong. I think we don't really think about it. You know, I think it's just part of our morning or afternoon ritual and we just do it but without making a conscious effort to do it properly. Again, you know, as a comparison with our skin, how much time do you take to give yourself a facial during the week? And especially now, probably where you can't go to a, a beauty salon or you don't want to go to a beauty salon to have a facial. So what are you doing yourselves at home? Are you doing masks? Are you doing facials? How much time are you taking over your skin? So, you know, we should really set at least, at least one evening a month where we can say, today is hair day. And I'm really going to look after my hair properly tonight. I'm going to brush it properly before I shampoo it to loosen all that debris off the scalp. I'm going to give myself a scalp scrub and go in there and really scrub it in together. And then I'm going to shampoo it. And then I'm going to use a good conditioner. And hey, if I have color on my hair, I may even give myself an intensive mask through the mid lengths and ends. And then I'll rinse it. And then what the most, most, most important thing is once you've rinsed it is to take a towel and wrap a turban around your head and just let it sit. So the towel will absorb the moisture. The worst thing you can do is rub that hair in between the towel because you will, the outside of your hair, the cuticle, If you look at the cuticle under a camera, it looks like scales of a fish or it looks like slates on the roof. And hair damage begins with a damaged cuticle. And when you rub it with the towel, it's like taking the tiles off or some of those scales off. So now all of a sudden I have dry, porous hair. And now I have to use a ton of product to keep that under control. So shampooing is the first step to really having healthy hair. It really is. Okay, so David, as a special treat today, I took videos of my scalp for you. Oh, that's so nice. I know. You're, you're welcome. So I took this wireless microscope, held it up to different 
points of my head. So, and this was a this was a two person job. I tried to do yes. it. Oh myself. no, you can't. You it, can't do it yourself. It did not no. work. Yeah. So my lovely nanny um, did it for me, and she's probably going to give notice <laughs> tomorrow. She did the nape of my neck, the crown, and then the the like hairline area. Yes. Yes. And and you can, and actually, if if we look at them, you you can tell which is which. We're looking at very up close pictures of my hair. I have to say it was hard. This microscope was so powerful. So you can see here, you can see, if you look at the bottom of the screen, you can see that's where the hair is growing out of the follicle. And you can see how healthy that hair is. Look how thick that hair is, right? And then you can see there's two or three hairs growing out of each follicle. But what you can see, you see this white on the scalp here, you see it's almost like waxy, translucent. That's, that's, if you, I'm going to ask you, sorry, to ask you a very personal question, but do you tend to have an oily skin and an oily scalp? Um, I didn't think so before I saw this picture. It's either or. So that's either natural oil, sebum, that there's an excess of it, or that looks like there's some sort of styling cream, styling gel that looks like something that's pooling on the scalp there. You can see it, right? I mean, what's today is there's, it's probably been three days since I washed my hair. I sh- it, I'm, I'm due. So that's either oil or Yes. Product. Yeah. Okay. That could just be na- the natural sebum. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be an excess of sebum, but it can be the natural sebum. So wait, can I ask you a question about dry scalp? Because obviously we're not supposed to put conditioner on our scalps, but if you have a dry scalp, what do you do to moisturize it? Two things. You can do the toners that we were talking about because some of those are moisturizing toners. And then the other thing you can do is um, when we do one of the scalp treatments, so we have these creams that we put on the scalp, we massage in. And with some of them, we put you under what we call a spa mist, which is rather like a steamer. And it opens the pores and it opens the cuticles. So we do the scalp and then we put an intensive treatment on the end, protein or moisture, depending on what the hair needs. Oh, there, look, stop there. That is, sorry, I got distracted by um, your scalp. <laughs> no, it's so exciting, my dead scalp skin. You see those two great big chunks? So those, those, are skin, those are skin cells. Okay. So if I, let's just say after this call, I grabbed a scalp brush and yes. started yes, you know, exactly. doing some circular motions, that would get rid of those? Well, yes. And then you'd have to shampoo your hair afterwards because then you'd lift them off the scalp and they'd just be sitting in your hair. Um, if we just stop there, look to the left of your screen. What do you see? I see hair, more hair. I see a white hair. That must be from someone else. <laughs> exactly. Um and that's that's one of the reasons why I could tell because the back of your hair, the hair was very thick and very dark. And then as you move to the top, you have the first one or two lighter ones coming in. And then that very last shot that you did, uh, we haven't looked at yet, but when it's around the hairline, unfortunately, there's a lot more of those lighter ones. So for most people, when we start to go gray, but we don't really go gray, we just have hair without color, right? So So, so what happens is when... When, when the hair grows, it grows through the follicle and the melanocytes create melanin that gives you your hair color. And they sort of join together and come up through the follicle. And they're sort of soft and mushy. And then when they come out on the scalp, they harden, they keratinize, and they form hair as we know it. So one day that cell just decides it's not going to work anymore. And we believe that the body produces a natural hydrogen peroxide that sort of kills off these melanin cells. Oh, stop there. Look at that. Okay. Now that's perfect. 
you see how that debris gathers around the base of the follicle, like we were talking about earlier. You see that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just these black, you know, these thick hairs. They almost look like a a whip. Like my kids were playing with this Indiana Jones whip the other day. So it's, you know, almost like that feels like that kind of texture. And it's coming out of this white waxy substance. And that's where the buildup occurs. And if we don't cleanse that, what could happen in time is that could shrink. And now all of a sudden we have two hairs growing out of there instead of three. Because they just can't get through. Because they can't get through. And then in the end, that could be one of the causes of thinning hair as we advance in years, shall we say. So healthy hair growth is a good sign of a healthy person. So for people who can't get to you, what ingredients, are there certain specific products that you like or ingredients that people should be looking for? I really like the Philip Kingsley scalp toners. I love the Philip Kingsley products. I think they are really good. He is really the man who sort of created modern day trichology. You know, he sort of made it what it is today. He made it a real science. He made people think about their hair and their scalp in a completely different way. I definitely have not been taking care of my scalp the way I should. My goal as a trichologist is just to make people aware of what a trichologist is and what we do and for them to be aware of their scalp and their hair. And you do have a scalp and you have to treat it differently than your hair. Yeah, I feel like my brain is overloaded because it's just so much information. I am a bit like that Dr. Bimble Popper. I, I love nothing better than taking a picture of a scalp and going, oh my God, what a mess. Let's sort this out. Amazing. Thank you so much, David. This has been enlightening. I'm never going to think about my scalp the same way again. It's like an alien planet hellscape. <laughs> Jenny, I feel like I've learned a lot about you. <laughs> it was fascinating. Okay, well, after the break, we're going to continue our scalp exploration with another expert. We're back, and we're here with someone who's going to tell us all about how to care for our scalp, which really, as she points out, is just an extension of our face. My name is Dr. Michelle Henry. I'm a board-certified dermatologist practicing in Manhattan, New York, where I do the full range of dermatology. So everything from skin checks to hair loss to skin cancer surgery to aesthetics. And I teach at Wild Cornell Medical College. And today we're talking about the scalp. So Dr. Henry, let's jump right in. Can you walk us through what exactly is underneath all this hair? So, you know, our scalp is truly just an extension of our facial skin. There are some key differences. Our scalp is a little bit thicker. Um, and our scalp has more oil glands. And that's because each follicle, of which there are many, is attached to an oil gland to help lubricate each strand of hair. So it's a lot thicker. It's more vascular than some areas on the skin. And what does more vascular mean? It has more blood vessels than our facial skin. So you'll bleed more like if you're cut kind of in the crown of your head than on your forehead. Absolutely. And why does your scalp look, or why does my, like my scalp, for example, looks very different from the skin on my face. Is it just because it's not really exposed to the sun or why does it look so different? Part of it is that it's, it's protected because what we see in men who become bald, it starts to look more like facial skin. So you start to see spotting, you start to see freckles, you start to see that the pigment is in alignment with the pigment on the face. And so a big part of it is that it's covered. Um, but the very nature of it having um, 
hair follicles. It has more structure. So it's just, it's different because it has these big, thick, what we call terminal hairs, which are those big, thick hairs, which are different from the fine hairs that you might see on your arm. And having all of that structure there just makes it thicker, makes it less pliable, which is why it feels different. I can liken it to, um, let's say a sweater with a tighter weave. You know, if it has a really tight weave, it's just not going to move as freely. There's more structure there. If you have a, a, a sweater with a looser weave, and if the weave, if we consider the, the follicles part of the weave of the skin, if it's, if it's a looser weave, it's just going to move more. It's going to move more easily. And then, so the follicles, I think we care the most about what's growing out of our scalps. Does every person have kind of a set amount of follicles? Like, is there an average range? There's a wide range. So on average, we say that most folks will have about 100,000 follicles. Um, but there's a range and it, it, it varies even on hair color and on ethnicity. So for instance, um, blondes tend to have more dense hair and they can go, you know, 120, 140. Whereas African-Americans tend to have fewer hairs on the scalp, so around 80,000. So there's that variation. But if we look at humans on average, it's somewhere between 180 to 120 or 140. We usually say about a 100, uh, 100,000 for the average, but that's kind of the range. And can you explain a little bit more about the oil production on your scalp? How does that work? Is the oil literally being produced out of the follicles? Yeah, so every follicle is attached to a little sebaceous gland, and that sebaceous gland produces oil to coat the hairs. And so that's its function. It coats the hair, and it's doing that consistently. So if you have fine straight hair, that little blob of oil is going to shoot right down to the tip of the hair, and it's going to make it oilier. Let's say if you have kinky coily hair, that means that little blob of oil has to make its way down that tight coil and that hair tends to be a little bit drier. I feel like the movement has lost some of its steam, but there was, you know, this no poo movement that we were seeing a few years ago. And kind of one of the common refrains was you need to shampoo your hair less and then you will train your oil glands on your scalp will produce less oil. Like your hair just feels oily because you shampoo too much and your oil glands are like, oh, it's dry up there and shoot out more oil. So if you stop shampooing, eventually after this rough, greasy patch, they will produce less oil. Is that the case? You know, we don't have proof of that sort of feedback system. And so science is ever evolving. And there are people looking into it, but I don't subscribe to the school that that actually happens. You know, we are genetically made with how oily or how dry we are. And so the same way in skincare, we say that like dryness is genetic and dehydration is situational, right? And so you can have dry skin or that's dehydrated or dry skin that's not dehydrated. The same with the scalp. So the amount of oil you produce is genetic and what you're doing on the surface is not necessarily going to change that. The way I looked at the no poo movement and of course we're always evolving. Um, I think no poo in some ways was a response to really harsh surfactants, right? So if you're using really harsh surfactants, you're stripping your hair, you're stripping your skin, and you feel like what we're doing is too harsh. And I think that a lot of the, the companies have gotten smarter. They're either doing sulfate-free or they're doing these surfactants that are kind of more amino-based, which makes them a little gentler. And so I think that we're seeing all these smarter shampoos as a response to that. And now that we have these smarter shampoos, we don't have to do the no poo. And, and there's been so much focus in beauty and scalp in the last couple of years. I guess, what is the difference between a healthy scalp and a non-healthy scalp? So a healthy scalp should, A, look healthy. We shouldn't see redness. We shouldn't see irritation. We shouldn't see a lot of scale or buildup in a healthy scalp. It should not feel tender. It should not have an odor. 
And so if we're seeing redness and inflammation, don't poo-poo that because inflammation is can be a sign of pending hair loss. If you're getting redness, then that can mean, is it a product, you know? Is it a product that's causing irritation? And two, is it your immune system? So redness could also mean that you have an autoimmune condition that is triggering hair loss on the scalp. So never poo-poo redness. Redness could either be, you know, an outside job or an inside job. So if you have redness, always let your dermatologist evaluate if it's an outside or an inside job, um, because that's critical. And if you keep your scalp healthy, will it make your hair thicker, you know, more lustrous or that redness can be a sign of a bigger problem? The redness can be a sign of a bigger problem. And I always say that scalp care is hair care, right? There is no hair care without scalp hair. So if you are using, you know, the most expensive, amazing, luxurious products on the length of your hair, it's doing nothing because once the hair um, passes the skin, it's dead, right? Now, if you have a healthy scalp, can good scalp care create more hair? Typically not because, again, the number of hairs are genetic. Um, now, if you are noticing thinning, which means maybe you have female pattern hair loss, you have some other reason for, for hair loss and you're not just at your normal baseline, um, then absolutely scalp care can improve your hair. So things like if someone has female pattern hair loss, I'll use things like minoxidil. Minoxidil is Rogaine. Um, that's the brand name. Um, but in my office, I compound it. So I make it stronger than we can use over the counter sometimes, um, sometimes weaker. You know, there are different variations. I mix it with other uh, ingredients that are kind of synergistic. So yes, treatments on the scalp can stimulate hair growth, but can we, we've not gotten to a point yet where we can create new follicles so we can't mul multiply new follicles. Although I think we'll be there. I hope we see it in my lifetime. There's some really innovative work being done because, you know, hair loss can be so disfiguring emotionally. Work being done to grow new follicles, like in a Petri dish? The latest studies I've seen where they're using stem cells and creating follicles. The problem is that if we do hair transplant, you're basically taking follicles from, from you have a finite number of follicles, right? So you're taking follicles from the back and maybe putting them in the front. What happens if you don't have enough follicles in the back? You know, what do you do, all right? You have just overall thin hair. So we're just kind of shifting around and playing this camouflage game when we do hair transplant. Um, so the, the ideal would be if we just create more of your follicles. So that would be the holy grail of hair restoration. And folks have been working on it forever. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see it at some point. But there are some relatively good studies showing that they're, they're getting some success. That's incredible. So you talked a little bit about shampoos and other products, but what kinds of products should we be using to care for our scalps? Are you into scalp scrubs? So scalp scrubs have become wildly popular. And maybe, you know, it doesn't hurt to do it once a month, especially if you're someone who's using a lot of products. Um, so if someone's using it once a month, would I make it a weekly product? No, because again, when I, when I think of inflammation, I think of hair loss. So we don't want to do anything that's going to cause inflammation. And that's why you also have to think about your, your scalp and your skin type. So if you're an oilier person, and absolutely, you can use a scrub, especially if you're cleansing it. Let's say at the end of the month, you're like, my scalp just doesn't feel clean. I keep having this buildup in debris. When I scratch my scalp, I'm still getting, you know, yuckiness, right? So you might be a good person that, you know, using that might might help um, to make your scalp a little bit healthier. Because again, we oil just holds dirt, debris, pollutants, all those things that on our facial skin we know will cause problems. The same goes for our scalp. Now, if you're someone who is really sensitive. And, you know, your scalp feels okay. You don't feel like you have a buildup of, of debris. Um, then maybe it might not be for you. One way to moisturize is not to strip it, right? So not to use things that will strip your scalp or to use products that have moisturizing ingredients. So a lot of the things that we're using, if you look at your products, we're starting to see smarter like scalp serums that may contain ingredients like that we like, hyaluronic acid, those ceramides, all of those things that we know are good for our, our, our facial skin, you can also use on the scalp. And what about 
dandruff. I feel like when you think, you know, scalp and scalp issues, you think dandruff. I think the term has kind of just become a catch-all for like any type of flake, whether it's dryness or it's product buildup or like what is dandruff technically and what are the different things that could cause flakes? So, you know, there's actually a lot of controversy around this term dandruff still, like even in, in medical spaces, like some people believe that it's an, an um, non-inflammatory form of seborrheic dermatitis. And seborrheic dermatitis is a medical condition that's induced by a yeast. The yeast is called melazacea furfur, which is this kind of weird yeast that's everywhere, but some people are sensitive to that yeast. And so as the yeast grows, it creates these byproducts that your scalp then gets inflamed. And so very severe dandruff um, is, is um, seborrheic dermatitis. And what people will see classically, they feel these mounds of dandruff. And, you know, they could see even dandruff in their eyebrows and around the nose and the chest. If we're seeing it like off of the scalp as well, it's almost always seborrheic dermatitis. And dandruff is usually just on the scalp. And so is dandruff a non-inflamed version of seborrheic dermatitis? That's one thought. Um, some people believe that dandruff is just like a scalp sensitivity to products and things, right? Um, things in your environment or, you know, different products that you're using, you just tend to be more sensitive. So you get dandruff. So there's still a little bit of controversy about it, but treating it, um, we feel pretty comfortable with how we, we treat it. Um, so when, especially when it's, um, if we think that it's seborrheic dermatitis, we're going to use these anti-yeast medications. Um, if it's just standard dandruff, most of the, the treatments topically, um, and over the counter contain zinc pyrithione. It's soothing and helps to get rid of the dandruff in that way. Um, so the treatments we, we feel pretty confident about, but the actual cause, there's still a little bit of controversy about that. And what about um, people with an oily scalp? Should they be shampooing every day? Like, is there a certain technique that people should be following? If you are someone that is a little bit oilier, then yeah, that you're the person who can wash daily. Many people can't. And so there's this whole, like, I try to instill, like, no shame in how frequently you wash your hair. Some people come in and say, I only wash once it becomes so embarrassed. No, there's no shame. It's about what your scalp needs. So if you are oilier, you wash more frequently. If you're not oily, then you're doing damage if you're washing every day. So it's just about understanding your oil production and, um, you know, how you feel at the end of the day after you wash. If you wash in the morning and the end of the day you're fine, then you may not need to wash every day. But if you're oily, then you will. And we talked a little bit already, you know, about hair loss and some of the exciting, you know, a future we might be able to look forward to where we can actually grow more follicles. But until then, what can you do to your scalp to help you reverse hair loss? The most important thing you can do is figure out the cause. A lot of our treatments are really great at stopping the hair loss, you know, but if you have persistent hair loss, it then turns into a scarring hair loss condition we're not so great at bringing it back. We can, we can, but we're significantly better if we catch it early. So if you notice that you're having hair loss, I say, come in. To me, you know, hair loss is an emergency because if I can stop it fast, I know that I have such a better prognosis. So the first thing is to get the right diagnosis. Our body looks at our hair as excess, right? And so if you have a medical condition, we often shed our hair because our body needs to function on more vital things, right? And so although we think it's the, the top priority in many ways, our body doesn't think that. So if you're shedding, we want to make sure that it's not your thyroid, that your vitamin D levels aren't wildly low, that your iron isn't wildly low, that you don't have an autoimmune disease, that you don't have some sort of infectious disease that's causing hair loss. And something else that's interesting is many people with hair loss have more than one reason for their hair loss, right? So you want to make sure that you optimize all pathways and get good information. So A, get evaluated so you can figure out what it is. 
And then depending on what it is, we have a wide range of treatments. So everything from topical solutions like minoxidil, sometimes we use topical steroids because there's inflammation, um, oral medications like spironolactone is a common one. Are there other lifestyle or styling things that we're doing that might be harming our scalps? Tight styling is probably one of the worst. So it's called traction alopecia. Some people call it tension alopecia. So if you're wearing like tight ponytails, we see it in all sorts of people. So we see it in folks who wear, you know, weaves and wigs because it's those braids are tight. We see it in like ballerinas who are always wearing a top knot. Um, you know, we see it in anyone who's wearing a, a style repetitively that might be a little bit tight. And so we see it all over. Um, and so that tension causes inflammation, which is the word of the hour <laughs> and inflammation causes hair loss. Um, and so, you know, that's styling is a big deal. Heat of course is, is different from hair loss on the scalp, but that can contribute to breakage. I pretty much never brush my hair. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, there used to be this thought that you would brush your hair like a hundred times or however many times because that would help the, the health of your hair and potentially your scalp. Should we all be brushing our hair more or less for, when it comes to scalp health specifically? Well, if you're brushing your hair and not your scalp, it doesn't matter, right? It's not. I say less. Low manipulation is better. There's no, there's zero proof that brushing your hair causes more hair growth. That's often uh, when we do like these top five hair myths, that is fake news. It does not cause hair growth. Um, but um, especially if you're brushing a lot, it can cause tension alopecia or traction alopecia. And depending on your hair type, it can, you know, cause damage. So I don't recommend brushing, you know, a hundred times a day or, or whatever the, the, the myth is. So no, it does not help. All right. We're going to get to some listener questions. Hi, my name is Caitlin. And lately when I run my hands through my hair, I notice a couple of bumps here and there on my scalp. And I was wondering if that's something I should have checked out. Yes. <laughs> if you ask me to check it out, the answer will always be yes, um, because it's, it's so important to find things early when it comes to hair loss, you know, or, or to hair. If you're feeling a little bumps, it could be a number of things. They could be moles, new moles on the scalp. They could be little cysts. So we see these cysts called pilar cysts, which can start out really small and grow really big. So those are called pilar cysts when they're on the scalp. It could be seborrheic dermatitis. So again, seborrheic dermatitis, when it's really inflamed, can create these little scaly mounds, which can feel like bumps on the scalp. Um, so bump is a pretty kind of... Um, uh, not very specific term. And so that's why it's really important to have someone who's an expert look at it so they can really tell you exactly what that bump is. So wait, I have something related to that. Should we all be putting sunscreen on our scalps and also doing mole checks? Absolutely. So I find skin cancers on the scalp all the time. Um, you know, it's not, it's even on double, double, even on double cuff of areas, you can get melanoma. So you can see so some of the worst melanomas I've seen have been on the scalp um, because they're areas that people aren't checking or they ignore them or they think it's something else. So absolutely have an expert look at your scalp, a board certified dermatologist every year. Um, and yes, sunscreen for sure, especially on your part. Um, I see skin cancers on the part all the time because it's an area that we often forget. We often use the same part almost our entire lives. You know, we have a preference. And, um, and so that means that area is kind of consistently and chronically getting sun. You can use like a spray-on. The spray-ons usually aren't super chalky. Um, and you just spray it right on your scalp and that should help you. Powders too. The powder sunscreens are nice as well. Hi, my name is Alicia. And because of COVID, I just have not really been styling my natural hair the way I typically would if I were going to work or going to hang out with friends. 
Being home, I've just committed to protective styles, which typically are in the form of box braids or cornrows. So I would get my hair braided for a few weeks, take it down to give my scalp and hair a break, and then braid it back up again. And I've been doing this since March, maybe. And so my question is, how do I prevent tension and scalp irritation when I'm wearing braid extensions? I've had braids before my entire life. And at least I remember being little and thinking, well, not my entire life, but occasionally. But I remember when you're little, it's like this weird thing. You don't want to tell them like it's too tight. You just kind of like, you just make it through. And I think that maybe, maybe it's a little cultural that you don't want to say it. But I think a lot of people have that experience. Um, it's really important to like speak up and say, this is too tight. It should not feel uncomfortable. There should not be a period after you have your braids or your weave that it feels uncomfortable, that you can't sleep on it well, that you have to take a Tylenol. A lot of people will take a Tylenol after their braids or an ibuprofen after their braids because it's so uncomfortable. That should not be a thing. That's not normal. We should normalize that. If it's so tight that you're uncomfortable, your follicles are at risk. Um, if it's so tight that you're starting to see accentuation of the follicle, so you'll see like little bumps around the follicle, that is too tight. That's called traction folliculitis. And that means pending hair loss and bending hair loss. Um, so it should not feel uncomfortable. You should not see inflammation after your braids and just like having that conversation with your stylist. Hi, Alor. This is Bianca from New Jersey. My hair can get oily, but my scalp is dry and itchy. How can I treat it? Get it evaluated first. <laughs> so if your hair is oily, but it's dry and itchy, then you want to see, is it is it an irritation that you're having? Is it that you have um, seborrheic dermatitis and it's super inflamed? If your hair is oily and you're seeing that you're having a little scale and you don't, I wouldn't wait too long before seeing a dermatologist to evaluate you. But if you want to try something at home, you can start with one of those zinc, zinc pyrithione shampoos, right? You can do that first. You can see if you have some buildup maybe try a gentle scrub because if you're oily, maybe you're a little bit less sensitive. Try a gentle scrub to see if it's due to product buildup. But I wouldn't, if you're, if this can sit continues for more than a month, I'd have it evaluated just to make sure it's not something that's causing such intense inflammation that you can get hair loss. All right, Dr. Henry, I feel like I want to go wash my hair now and not brush. <laughs> <laughs> no, no brushing, please. Light brushing if you have to. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dr. Henry. No problem. Okay, so one more thing before we go, our scalp care recommendations. Now, as David pointed out, we might not all have scalp care routines that are as developed as our skincare or hair care, but I do do a couple things. Okay, so for my scalp, um, I've just recently started scalp care, but I've been using the Briogeo um, scalp trying to remember the name of it. It's that great shampoo. Have you tried it before, Jenny? It smells a little bit like mint chocolate Minty? chip. Minty? Yeah. Yeah. I've been using that. It's a great shampoo and also scalp exfoliator. I will be honest. I don't really do anything to my scalp. This, this view, um, this new view that I have of my scalp though did change that. So I've I've looked for some things that I had but just wasn't using, like one of those little rubber-tipped scalp brushes that I've been using before I get in the shower to shampoo. I'm also just shampooing a little more often after seeing that situation. Me too. Um, like sometimes I'd go three or four days. Now I really don't push it past three. And I do love a product in Taraji P. Henson's hair care line that she launched earlier this year. She has a product called the Master Cleanse, and it's kind of a scalp wash. It has a, a nozzle with this 
these three prongs on it so you can really get, it's a liquid, get that liquid right down to your scalp. Um, and it has witch hazel, it has tea tree oil, it has some citric acid for exfoliating. And I really like that because it makes my scalp feel clean without the grit that you get from a, a physical scalp scrub. Because sometimes I just have trouble getting those grains out of my hair. Maybe I'm just impatient about rinsing um, and I should give it more time. But I like this this Master Cleanse product because it's a liquid. And now I really want to find a good scalp tonic too. Um, that's a category that doesn't really exist yet. I know um, we talked about the Philip Kingsley one earlier, but I really can't think of others that are a, you know really a scalp cleanser that you don't rinse out, that you just leave on. So that will be my my next mission to find in the beauty world. I will say that I um, today, my shower was getting out of control, just bottles everywhere. Like my 10-year-old sometimes uses our shower and he was like, mom, I just want shampoo. Like, where is it? What is all this stuff? So I was kind of paring down. I had seven different scalp products in the shower. Whoa. And I'd used maybe two of them. And some were like samples that I'd gotten, but there were, there was the Taraji uh, Master Cleanse that we talked about before. There was a few different tubs of scrubs. Um, Drunk Elephant launched hair care this year. So I had a sample of their scrub. Um, Yeah, it was a lot of scrubs that I just hadn't used because I never want to. I know. Same here. So um, it's funny because after our conversation with David, I definitely went around our house. I was like, I know I have some scalp scrubs somewhere. I was like on a like a finding mission, just trying to find something. Um, but yeah, I've just even changed the way that I shampoo my hair. Like I'm definitely trying to like really massage the scalp and making sure that I am getting like the, um, you know, all along my hairline and all along like the temples and stuff. It really has just changed the way that I'm looking at everything. And I also, because of tension alopecia, I'm really being conscious of not wearing my hair the same way all the time. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I have been loosening up my ponytails a little bit. I mean, sometimes I even go to sleep and my hair is like still up in the bun that I did to wash my face. Um, and I've been more conscious of taking the, that elastic out of my hair at night so it's not pulling in the night. Um, the other scalp product that I've used and liked was that DP Hue apple cider vinegar rinse. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you kind of put that into your hair, you leave it on for a little bit, and then rinse it out. I've, I've definitely liked that, and it felt very clarifying. I used once just straight apple cider vinegar on my head when my scalp was really itchy. Um, because I'd read online that that was going to help. And I way overdid it. Because when we did the shampoo experiment on an earlier episode, when we mixed the apple cider vinegar with water and honey, but I just dumped like a full measuring cup of apple cider vinegar on my head. Ooh, did it burn? It didn't burn. It just reeked. The whole, like the apartment reeked for a (laughs) week. Like I couldn't get the smell out of my hair. Um, Yeah, it was a little bit scarring, but I I should do the DP hue since that's actually, I'm sure, formulated not to smell up your entire house. Yeah, it's good. And it has like one of those almost like ketchup squeezy bottle points to it. So it's really easy to get into the different points of your hair. I know that's the challenge. I I mean, my hair's the, my actual hairs are pretty fine, but there's a lot of them. It's like hard to get down to the scalp. Okay, that's it for this episode of The Science of Beauty. Join us next week when we'll be talking about the hair all over your body. It's not just on your scalp.
If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Allure on Instagram at Allure, and I'm at Hey Michelle Lee, and Jenny is at J by E, B A I L L Y. On our audio team, our lead producer is Carla Green, executive producer is Shara Morris, associate producer is Kate Mishkin, and sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the Allure team, the editorial leads are Soyini Driscoll and Diana Mazone. Lead researcher is Julie Risabudo, and project manager is Monica Perry. The theme music is by Asha Ivanovich. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum.